Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined this week by my co-host, Scott Mason, Mr. Play Like a Jet. Scott, how you doing today? I'm doing good. And Joe, as I was telling you and joking with Dalbin earlier this week, we continue to play like the new day here. We got three guys. Only two guys can defend the tag team titles each week. So the rotation continues as Dalbin is out saving the world this week. We got a good every other week rotation going now. We've been out six weeks in a row working this way, and it's good. We get a little different perspective every week, and uh, we'll keep it fresh for the uh, in the co-host seat. So we'll keep that going for the rest of the season. Uh, what we're going to do this week is we're going to quickly talk about the Jets' disappointing 15-10 loss to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, then we're going to rip through your Twitter questions that uh, we got a bunch sent over this morning. So uh, we're going to change the format up a little bit and work through and answer those questions. And then we're going to wrap today uh, with an interview with Connor Rogers, former uh, TOJ member, current uh, Bleacher Report and draft expert extraordinaire. He's also just recently launched, launched a Jets podcast. So uh, him and I are going to talk about uh, some things related to the draft and how the Jets could finish out this season. Before we dive into everything, want to remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. Make sure to check out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets for more information about the tailgate parties they'll have upcoming at the two uh, home games, which are the next two on the Jets schedule against Carolina and Kansas City outside the Pepsi gate and for any away game packages they have for their upcoming away games in Denver and New Orleans. Again, that's primesport.com slash turn on the Jets, official team partner of the team. Check them out on Facebook and Twitter at Primesport. This podcast is also brought to you by mybookie.ag. If you're looking for some action on the college football, Thursday night football, any of the NFL games this weekend, make sure you use mybookie.ag and promo code TOJ for up to a 100% cash bonus back on your initial deposit. You play, you bet, you win at mybookie.ag. Make sure to use that promo code TOJ and give them a follow on social media at betmybookie. Make sure to support the friends of the pods, our good friends at Prime Sport and MyBookie.ag who have been with us all season. Okay, Scott, Jets somehow found themselves into being favorites heading into a Week 10 game. A game that if they would have won would have put them all of a half game out of a playoff spot with six games left. 
Unfortunately, they came out flat. I think you could really see it right from the first drive. The offense looked completely out of sync. Uh, this is a team that's actually scored first in every single game this year since uh, they didn't against Jacksonville in Week 3. So over their past six games, they had scored first. That wasn't the case in this one as they fell behind 3-0. It was 3-3 at halftime. Uh, no offense to speak of. The offensive line in particular was struggling with penalties and blocking Gerald McCoy. Uh, a sluggish second half as Tampa Bay got a few more field goals, got it to 9-3, and then put together a long drive and a clearly exhausted Jets defense and basically put the game on ice at 15-3. to uh, The Jets had a garbage time touchdown against Robbie An with Robbie Anderson with about 30 seconds left uh, to make the final 15-10 when they didn't recover the onside kick. But overall, this... This was a regression to the mean game for the Jets. Uh, it, it was always kind of crazy that the Jets would ever be reading their headlines too much. I think they're going to walk waltz through any win uh, as a four and five team who hasn't made the playoffs in seven years. And yes, they are four and five, and yes, Tampa was two and six. But even with Fitzpatrick out of the lineup and Mike Evans out of the lineup, the talent level was comparable between the two teams. And the Jets haven't been good on the road this year. They're one and four now. The only team they beat was Cleveland, and they didn't play well in that game either. They were really lucky to escape with the win. And what you saw, I think, was a lot of the weak spots on the roster amplified by what was a conservative, uh, flat coaching performance. The Jets basically played not to lose, particularly on offense, and it came back to bite them. They never made any plays. Josh McCown, uh, despite a stat line padded in the fourth quarter in garbage time, really didn't play well at all, took too many sacks. Missed plenty of throws uh, and did not attack aggressively enough down the field. Also had a first-half interception that helped set up Bucks points. Defensively, it was a lot of bend but don't break. They only allowed 15 points, so it's hard to be too mad at the defense, but they allowed a lot of yards, and they couldn't come up with a big stop late. Also only forced one turnover and only had one sack of Fitzpatrick, which was frustrating to see. The loss drops the Jets to 4-6. and six. The AFC is such a mess right now that still they're technically only one and a half games out of the sixth and final spot. They're also only one and a half games ahead of the 15 spot in the AFC, so you have an idea of how mediocre the conference is. Scott... What were your thoughts and reactions watching this game? Well, the first thing that I thought, <laughs> and I said this to Kyle on the post-game podcast that we did right after the game, is I wanted the three hours of my life back that I spent watching the game. It was just a brutal, boring game on both ends. The Tampa was terrible. The Jets were terrible. The Jets were more terrible than Tampa in the end. It was just a, a brutal game to watch. And it was one of those where if I wasn't a diehard Jets fan, there's no way I would have lasted past maybe the first quarter or second quarter at most. I would have turned on a different game, and I think that's probably the way most people felt. I, I think I tweeted out that it was one of those deals where the game was for Jets and Bucks diehards and only Jets and Bucks diehards. The offensive game plan was weird to me. I love Bilal Pal, Joe. I know Bilal Pal. We've been talking about him for, for years, feeding him the ball. And he's certainly their best option in the running game. But the running game wasn't really getting going. And the two guys that really are weapons on the offense that have a chance to make plays are Austin Safarian Jenkins and Robbie Anderson. He went to Anderson a little bit, but not that much. And Safarian Jenkins, I was starting to wonder if he was even in the game at a certain point. I don't understand why they didn't game plan to try and feed those two guys. They're clearly the best matchups they have, and they're clearly the two most dynamic offensive players they have, particularly Anderson. I don't understand why they didn't run more patterns for him specifically, or at least attempt to get him the ball. McCown 
wasn't seeing guys like always. He was missing receivers. He was making turnovers. It was just an absolute mess on offense. And McCown and Fitzpatrick, this is really – I mean, Fitzpatrick, I, his team got the win, but this is, in a nutshell, this game was why these guys have been on so many teams because they're, I guess, reasonably – respectable most games, but not good enough to make any kind of market difference in the defense. Can't really complain. Like you said, they gave up a lot of yards. They didn't get a stop at the end, but they held the Bucks to 15 points. The Jets should have been able to score more than that if they were a halfway competent offense. And so I can't really get on the defense too much. Yes, they should have had more pressure on Fitzpatrick, but also Fitzpatrick did escape with his legs quite a few times because that's one thing that people tend to forget about him is that he actually is a lot more mobile than his reputation would have him across the league. He's actually very good at escaping. McCown, Fitzpatrick, it was a recipe for a bad game of football. We all knew it. And this is what we got, a 15-10 loss for the Jets, but a really bad football game for anybody watching. And I think this should probably shut the door on the idea that the Jets had any realistic chance at going to the playoffs. I suppose if they went in the bye at 5-5, five and five, you could make a case that if they could steal a couple of games, maybe they had a chance. But now at 4-6 and six, with the tough schedule they have coming up ahead, it seems like those dreams are dead. So we'll see what happens here from the way that they're talking. I don't think we're going to see Bryce Petty or Christian Hackenberg anytime soon, if at all. So I just, all I want Joe going forward is for a reasonably interesting set of games where I can see some things from young players and they don't basically put me to sleep. If I can get that for the next bunch of games, then I'll be okay with it, and that's really all my expectations are going forward. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, look, we want to see as many young players as possible, but it's hard to get too hung up at the quarterback position because the simple reality is that Bryce Petty or Christian Hackenberg are not the long-term starter here. I think there's maybe a chance Petty could be the long-term backup, so you know, to see him start a couple games I guess isn't crazy. You want to see if he actually did carry over that progress from the preseason. But when it's all said and done, now the schedule is going to take a tough pivot. And listen, there's been years I've been very wrong when it comes to picking the Jets record, specifically in 2016. This year, I got to say, I think I completely nailed it. Three and three start, four and six at the bye, five and 11 overall, two and four in the AFC East, 0 and four against the NFC South. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think they're going to lose to Carolina and Kansas City. They're going to lose to New Orleans. Um, I think maybe they beat either Denver or San Diego. And I think New England is likely to have something to play for in Week 17 with Pittsburgh and Kansas City hovering around the same record as them. So I would be surprised if this team did any better than 5-11, and 11, and I do think 4-12 and 12 is on the table. Now, that might sound crazy, but the Jets still play the 7-3 and three Panthers, the 6-3 and three Chiefs, the 7-2 and two Saints, the 7-2 and two Patriots. Uh, and yes, Denver has been really bad, but the Jets have been a bad road team, and Denver's got a great defense. And San Diego, if San Diego beats Buffalo this week, they might be in the driver's seat for the AFC wildcard. I mean, everyone's still kind of in the mix there. So I, I think tempering expectations for these final six games is important. I think in the absolute best case scenario this team finishes seven and nine although I think five and eleven or six and ten is more realistic but again hopefully when possible we see some of the younger players being featured more offensively and defensively I'm not anticipating a quarterback switch unless there's an injury maybe I could see them starting petty the last two weeks uh, at home against San Diego and then against New England but 
that's about it. But I wouldn't be holding your breath for it. All right, l- let's dive into these Twitter questions, and we'll rip through these. I, you know, I just put this out this morning. Appreciate everyone responding so quickly. First question from Vin Fedora. With Nuwa returning, Robbie progressing, and investing two 2017 picks on the wide receiver position, do you target a receiver in what looks like a great free agent class? My answer is yes. I think the Jets should work to continue to add depth to this position. I think they have um, the resources to attack it. I don't know if they're going to be able to get their hands on Allen Robinson, who I think will probably go back to Jacksonville. I know a lot of people have targeted him. A guy I'm keeping my eye, my eye on is potentially Paul Richardson uh, in Seattle, who's really been a nice big play receiver who's thrived in a bigger role this year and probably wouldn't cost the same top flight money that a guy like Robinson does. So I think, you know, if you come out in a three wide next year with Richardson and Nuwa and Anderson uh, and then have Stewart and Hanson providing depth, personally, I'm ready to move on from Curse and Curley. Uh, I think that could be something uh, worth pursuing. Another guy who will be available is Terrell Pryor. I mean, h- how big of a priority do you think it is, Scott, for the Jets to potentially spend at receiver? I don't think it's a huge priority, uh, especially if a noon one makes a good recovery. I think if you have a noon one Anderson and you have Hanson and Stewart as guys that could maybe at some point fill that three and four spot, you do still need that real difference maker to go along with the other two because those two guys are good and Anderson is really starting to come into his own. If Allen Robinson can be had, then I think it's definitely something worth looking at. You mentioned Terrell Pryor. I don't know. I mean, there's so many stories about what a pain he is to deal with. And supposedly he's already falling out of favor in Washington. And you had that whole thing with the Browns. So I don't know. I mean, he's got a lot of ability, but maybe you take a flyer on him if the deal is right. But I I don't think that it's a top priority. But like you said, Joe, it's something I would definitely look into. Paul Richardson's an interesting name. There are a couple of others. I think a lot of it also depends on how healthy Quincy is, because if Quincy can come back very healthy, you know, and really heal up, then it's a situation where you feel a lot less urgency. But if his recovery ends up lagging and you get into training camp and he's looking slow and and stuff like that, you may regret not spending on a wide receiver. So I think it's worth monitoring a Nunez progress, but either way, it's something that I would strongly consider if the right opportunity comes along, particularly with somebody like Allen Robinson. Next question from Spotty Blackman. Our OL has been under-addressed for years now. Thoughts on drafting multiple players at these positions or doing F- do free agent signings make more sense? Any thoughts on good ones in the draft? I can't say I have a, a great understanding of the overall crop, crop of available offensive linemen. It's something we'll definitely talk about, Connor, uh, with later in the pod. But in free agency, uh, I look at a guy like Ryan Jensen or Weston Richburg to improve the center position. I think the first position you need to work on improving along the front is center. Uh, and then I think the Jets could still stand to add more depth uh, across the board. I think it's debatable whether you want to stay with Kelvin Beecham as your long-term left tackle. I think you got to see what becomes available in the market or the draft. And honestly, it's been a bit of a disappointing year for Brian Winter. So maybe you go after a guy like Justin Pugh or somebody else who uh, could become available. I mean, what have been your thoughts on the offensive line so far this year, Scott? It's been very up and down. I talked to Kyle about this on the post-game podcast. There have been weeks when they looked a lot better than we expected them to, and then there have been weeks where – They just look really bad, like this week, for instance. I also think that the running game has suffered quite a bit. They've done better in pass protection, as expected, but other than 
last week against the Bills and those two big runs against the Jaguars with McGuire and Powell, the running game has had a lot of trouble going. And I, I know that Powell and McGuire and Forte, it's not exactly Eric Dickerson in his prime, but they're good enough to, to do better than what we've been seeing. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the offensive line not really opening up holes. I definitely think there is room to improve there. I think that despite Winters being disappointing this year, he's still a guy that I would hold on to at the guard spot. Same thing with Carpenter. He's been relatively consistent since he's been here. Shell looks like if he stays healthy, he'll be a pretty good player. I think you need to, like you said, address Kelvin Beecham. Is he the guy that you want to be that left tackle for the next couple of years? Center obviously needs an upgrade. Wesley Johnson has not really been cutting the mustard. I think it really, a lot of it depends too on where you pick in the draft because if the Jets do end up picking in a spot where they don't pick a quarterback or if they make a run at Kirk Cousins and give him $25 million and they're out of the running for a quarterback in that spot, you could be looking at it again. Connor, I'm sure, will talk to you about this and knows way more about it than, than I do, and so would Jeff Lloyd as well. But uh, Connor Williams is a guy that I love because I'm a Texas fan, so that's a guy that maybe he's available depending on if the Jets pick somewhere in the four to six range. That's definitely a possibility because, like somebody said, the Jets haven't really addressed the offensive line with high draft picks in quite a while. It's really been since the year that they took brick and mangled was the last time they made real big-time investments with draft capital in the offensive line. So it's something to think about depending on how the board shakes out in the draft. But I think definitely you could look at something in the second or third round as well. But uh, the offensive line could use some depth and some upgrades at a couple of the positions for sure. Next question from New Jet City. Predictions on which current Jets that are unrestricted free agents that McCagnum will resign, specifically Claiborne, ELA, Demario Davis, and Safarian Jenkins. Am I wearing green colored glasses? I want to bring back all four, obviously, at the right price. Uh, I've been pretty anti uh, paying Claiborne. I guess it depends on the contract. This guy just, I understand he's very good when out there. He just can't stay healthy. He's now missed basically two the last two games here. He's missed. 35 games over five seasons. So anything besides a one-year prove-it deal, I'm not paying him. I'm certainly not giving him any long-term guaranteed money. I'd rather invest in a guy like Tremaine Johnson long-term or address the position in the draft. I just don't think you could give big money to a 29-year-old corner who has never stayed healthy in his career. Ely, I think he should absolutely come back at the right price. I think the Jets should move on from Muhammad Wilkerson, and I think part of filling uh, the gap that he will leave is bringing Ely back, and I don't think he should be too expensive. Uh, Safarian Jenkins is definitely a no-brainer to bring back. I'm surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets are already working on that at this point. Uh, Davis has probably played his way into a short-term contract. I'm not giving Davis a big four- to five-year deal. I think he's been... Look, he's definitely been better than he was in 2015 for the team. I think he is an okay starting inside linebacker. Uh, so another one- to two-year deal to help f- hold the fort with Darren Lee, yeah, I think I think that's reasonable. Uh, beyond that, there's not too many other people who jump off the page. I'd let Curtis walk. I'd let Curly walk. Let the young receivers play. Let them grow and develop, particularly with the new walk coming back. Um, and beyond that, there's nobody else who really, you know, really jumps off the page. Um I mean, what do you think when you look at that group uh, of potential unrestricted free agents that the Jets are going to be considering bringing back with their cap space? Yeah, I agree more or less with everything you just said. I think Safarian Jenkins is a no-brainer. I think they should be working on it now if they're not already. 
Uh, Claiborne is a guy that I would not pay for the exact reasons that you said. It's one of those that reminds me of the joke about Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood back in the day with the Chicago Cubs, where it would be like, oh, yeah, Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood will miss X amount of starts. That was like guaranteed pretty much every year, and that's what you get with Claiborne. You knew it was only a matter of time before he got hurt this year, and it happened, and who knows how many games he'll ultimately miss this year. He's been very good when healthy. He's certainly number one cornerback level when healthy, but when healthy is a huge caveat, and he never is. The guy just is constantly getting hurt, and it's a big problem, and that's why you can't commit money to a guy like that, especially, like you said, Joe, at 29 years old. I think Coney Ely's been very good. I thought he was underrated to begin with. I thought he was a productive player in Carolina, and he just seemed to not fit what Bill Belichick wanted to do in New England, and he was an excellent pickup for McCagnan. I would love to see him come back, not at a monster contract, but if it's at a reasonable price, absolutely. And I'm with you on Demario Davis, too. I think that he's played far better than any of us had any right to expect, especially when you consider how poorly he played the first time he was here, but he seems to really come into his own. He's not a guy that I would commit big money to, but if you're willing to get him, or if you're able to get him, I should say, on a two- or three-year deal for not insane money, it would be worth keeping around. He seems to be a positive locker room guy, and he and Darren Lee seem to be playing off of each other, so that would be a good combination. Quincy and Noonlaw, we'll see what happens with him. They're going to have to deal with his contract situation, I would assume. And then Robbie Anderson is a guy who's not going to be a free agent, but he's somebody I might look into trying to work out some sort of extension with at the end of the season on top of what we were talking about with the uh, unrestricted free agent. So I know that's a little bit outside of what the question was, but that might be something I would address too if I was McCagnan. Question from Roz. What quarterback do you see falling to the Jets, and do you think the Jets will take a QB? Uh, as of now, the Jets have the 10th pick in the draft. I do think they ultimately will end up picking higher because I think they're going to probably lose five of their last six games. So let's assume they pick in the five to seven, eight range. Uh, I think they're going to have a chance uh, to get guys like Lamar Jackson uh, and Baker Mayfield. I think we need to see if Darnold's going to come out. I'm not fully sold that he's definitely going back to school. I think the decision probably hasn't been made yet. Uh, but you would have to assume as of now the top five quarterbacks are in no particular order. Uh, Darnold, Rosen, Jackson, Mayfield, and then I guess Josh Allen, although he's been so bad this year and I don't see any logical reason to make him a first or second round quarterback. He does seem still he does seem to still be held in high regard from NFL evaluators, but that's why most NFL evaluators are terrible at evaluating the quarterback position. Um, I think the Jets are gonna have a chance to get Jackson or Mayfield. I think that if they really fall in love with Rosen or Darnold, they might need to trade up a few picks to get him. Uh, And yes, I do think they will take a quarterback in the first round, particularly if they try to make a big bid for Cousins and fall short. I think the Jets will be in on bidding for Cousins, but it's going to be a lot of competition. Uh, Washington's going to be trying to get him back in some capacity. Uh, The Niners uh, could still be interested, pending what happens with Garoppolo over these next few games, although obviously that's much less likely now. Denver needs a quarterback. Jacksonville needs a quarterback. Arizona needs a quarterback. So uh, no guarantee that he's going to end up here. So I do ultimately think they'll end up addressing the position. And I think a big debate we're going to have the entire offseason, uh, is it Jackson or is it Mayfield? I, I rank them as about the same as of right now. Personally, I probably like Jackson a little more, but I'd be excited about either of those two guys coming to the Jets. How, how do you think a quarterback's going to be attacked this offseason, Scott? 
I think you're right. I think they'll make a big play for Kirk Cousins. And I'm kind of torn on whether they should or not. I live in the DMV area, which is where Dalvin lives as well. So not only do we watch a lot of Kirk Cousins, but we also get to hear what the local people have to say. And I'll be honest, Joe, I would be fairly surprised if he's back here next year simply because they can't franchise him at $35 million. And the other thing is there's a lot of bad blood between Cousins and the front office and and, uh, ownership. So, listen, you never know with these things. Money sometimes heals all wounds, but I would be fairly surprised if he's back with the Redskins next year. That said, like you said, there are plenty of other teams that are going to be making bids. I mean, unless Paxton Lynch pans out when he comes back from injury, you have to figure Denver will be in the mix. Arizona will probably be in the mix because of the fact that Carson Palmer is on his last legs. You mentioned Jacksonville, unless Blake Bortles somehow turns into a good quarterback, which I don't see happening, they'll be in there. So I I think the Jets will certainly make a bid for Cousins. If that fails, I don't know. I mean, it really depends on what they think of these quarterbacks, and I really have no idea what they do think. It's possible that they love Darnold or Rosen enough that they would make some sort of bold move up or at least try to. It's possible that they really like Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson. It's possible that they don't really like any of those quarterbacks enough to pick them that high. And perhaps they go a safer route the way that they picked Jamal Adams over Deshaun Watson this past year and instead address the quarterback concern in the second or third round with, God help us all, Josh Allen or somebody like that, perhaps Luke Falk from Washington State or Mason Rudolph or somebody like that. I can't get inside their head. I think there's a – I would say at this point there's somewhere to a 50 to 60% chance of the Jets drafting a quarterback in the first round. But I think a lot of it has to do with, A, if they are able to get Cousins, and, B, if there's a quarterback – in this draft that they really, really like. Because if they don't really like any of these quarterbacks, it would be a big mistake to draft one just for the sake of drafting a quarterback. We've seen how that plays out many, many times. Jake Locker, Christian Ponder, on and on down the line, situations where teams just felt like they needed a quarterback, so they reached for one. So we'll see. It's all really going to depend on what they think of those guys. But it wouldn't shock me at all if they were to pick Mayfield or Jackson, depending on how everything shakes out with the combine. And it also wouldn't sh- it shock me at all if they passed on a quarterback in the first round. I know people think that's crazy, but if they really don't love any of these guys, you know, you can't just pick a QB to pick a QB. All right, final question, which will have a super brief answer, and I think uh, the person who asked this question know the, knew this. Joe Quintero, should the Jets start playing Hanson and Stewart more moving forward? Yes, the answer is yes. Uh, this is why they drafted them. They're probably not going to the playoffs this year. Actually, they're not going to the playoffs this year. Uh, Jermaine Curse is just a guy. If you disagree with that, look at his receiving yardage totals every game since week two. Gets about 30 yards receiving a week. Uh that is something that I think Hanson could do, had his first three catches. Uh, I'm personally, I do think Hanson has a higher long-term ceiling than Stewart, but there are creative ways to get Stewart involved in the offense, and you invested a third-round pick in him, so let's see if he could play uh, now, particularly with Curly out of the lineup. Uh, I think it's time to start giving some of those reps and targets that Curse currently gets uh, to either Hanson or Stewart. What are your thoughts on the matter, Scott? Yeah, I agree. And I'll I'll make my response a little longer than yours. Your response was yes. My response will be hell yes. So 
I think that both of those guys certainly should be playing more. You could use Ardarius Stewart in creative ways, end arounds and stuff like that, certainly. I think that you're right when you say that Chad Hansen has more long-term upside. I think, Joe, going into the draft, you were one of the people that can compare him to Chris Hogan. I think that's fair. I like Chris Hogan a lot, and I think that he's a quality NFL receiver, and I think Hansen could become that guy, a really strong three, or maybe at some point, who knows, even a two or something like that. Washington absolutely destroyed my Texas Longhorns last year. He had almost 200 yards receiving, and he's really good. He's got great hands. He's got deceptive speed, and he can really run routes. So he's a guy that I think could be an interesting player for the Jets going forward, and I'd like to see more of him. Stewart as well. And like you said, look, Curly, whatever, you know, and Curse, same thing. Curse is a, a solid receiver, but he's nothing more than that. He's a decent number three, and there's no reason that he, he or Curly should be impeding the progress of the two guys that they spent draft capital on this past year. All right, that's going to wrap your uh, our Twitter Q&A segment. Appreciate everybody sending the questions over. Uh, before we wrap this week's episode, we're going to do a quick interview with Connor Rogers. Make sure to give Scott a follow at Play Like a Jet 1. And, of course, subscribe to Play Like a Jet on iTunes. Scott, who are you talking to this Friday? Well, this week, Joe, we're going to wrap up our series on the 1986 season with JoJo Townsell. It's funny. We have a guy named JoJo returning kicks for the Jets again. Who would have ever thought? But the last guy who did it was JoJo Townsell. He did a heck of a job, too. He did it for a decent amount of years, from 1985 to 1990. So we're going to talk to him about 86. And 86 was one of the more interesting years in Jets history. They started out the season 10-1, and and everybody thought that the Jets and the Giants were headed for a showdown in the Super Bowl. The Giants were 9-2. and And then the Jets through a series of things, including, as JoJo talked about, exhaustion, overwork, guys getting hurt, people breaking down, Ken O'Brien's arm wasn't quite as sharp. They lost their last five games of the regular season to finish the season 10-6 and and kind of limped into the playoffs. But they did get into the playoffs, and that's what we're going to talk about on the final part of this series, part four. We're going to get into their playoff run in 86. How did it start out? How did it end? A lot of interesting stories from JoJo Townsell, who confides that, well, you'll find out on Friday, but there's something from that playoff run that still sticks with him to this day, and it still knows at him all these many years later. We're talking now 31 years ago, and it still sticks with him to this day. So we're going to finish that up this week. It's part four of the 1986 season. And, Joe, I know a lot of podcasts like to take off for the holidays, but not play like a jet because Thanksgiving week, we will have a brand new play like a jet as well. I'll talk to you about that more next week, but suffice it to say, we've got something really fun planned for black Friday coming up next week as well. So lots going on with play like a jet. If you missed any of the Jojo Townsell series, you can catch it at iTunes or at turn on the or really anywhere that podcast can be downloaded and make sure you don't miss out on Friday when we get into part four, the final part of 1986 with JoJo Townsell. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. You can follow me at PlayLikeAJet1. And also subscribe and give this podcast a review, the Turn on the Jets podcast. Listen, truth is, these things don't take a lot of time. They don't cost you any money, but it allows us to continue to keep bringing you this great content for free. It helps us out a ton. We really appreciate it. So if you take a quick second out of your day, go to iTunes, 
review the podcast. It would just, you know, be a huge help to us. So, Joe, really looking forward to this Friday. And then, like I said, Black Friday, some brand new stuff for Jets fans as well. All right, Scott. Uh, we will make sure that everybody goes and subscribes to Play Like a Jet. As he said, also subscribe to Turn the Jets. Uh, we'll be back with our interview with Connor after this. And we are back to talk with our old friend, currently of Bleacher Report, currently of Stick to Football, currently also now of Stick to Jets, uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, TOJ alumni ever, Connor Rogers. Connor, how you doing today? Good, Joe. Thanks for the great intro. It's uh, some some high praise there. Look, I'm working on my introductions here. I've been hosting podcasts for a while. I'm trying to I'm trying to sharpen it up and uh, you know expand my game here. So, what we want to talk about today is we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the state of the Jets, and then we're going to start talking a little more big picture about where this roster is right now, and then the the 2018 draft, which uh, obviously is you know Connor's area of expertise. But as of right now. What are your thoughts on how this team has performed through 10 games? Have they met your expectations? Have they exceeded them? You know, what, what have you seen from this Jets team through 10 games, and what do you think of the state of this organization right now? I think they've overachieved. I didn't have much expectations for this Jets. I said they were probably a three-win team uh, before the season started, and when you look at you know, how things have shaken out. Sure, they haven't been absolutely great, but I think the talent is starting to evolve. I still think the coaching is not very good. I'm very perplexed by uh, the very high and early praise for John Morton. I think he's been just okay. He's been specifically very good at opening drives, very, very bad in second halves and the fourth quarter and closing out games or, you know, taking them when they're on the line. But I think when you look at the roster, I think it's there's starting to be a you know there's a little bit of a foundation in place, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's good to see that after a you know not a great first draft for Mike McCagan, where Leonard Williams is really the only piece that they took out of that class, they capitalized on the next two drafts. They've got instant impact from this year's class. They've you know they're getting some you know very good production out of Jordan Jenkins and Darren Lee, and obviously the undrafted free agent and Robbie Anderson from the class before that. So. I think the talent is way better than anyone expected, especially the development curve that people thought it would take. But I just think the coaching is not there yet. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been a couple of positive signs. I do think that, you know, sort of week to week, we're getting in this trend where, you know, they have a really good, usually it's been, they have a really good first half and everyone's like, my God, John Morton, he's got to be a future head coach. We can't let him escape. Look at McCown. He's, he's lighting it up. And then, you know, reality seems to, you know, kind of come in the second half and reality was just the entire game against Tampa. And I think there was just such talent limitations at the premium positions on this roster that it's hard to compete in close games, no matter who they're, who they're going against, because once things get tighter in the fourth quarter, there's only so much McCown and this offense could do because they're they're just so limited. Uh, And really outside of Robbie Anderson, they don't have anyone who's taking the top off of defense or making any big plays. One, one positional group that I think has probably been a little better than expected, but finally started to look how I think some of us thought it would look in the preseason is the offensive line. The offensive line, I feel sometimes becomes a, a hard position to evaluate because you have five different people there. And a lot of times fans are wondering who's actually playing well, who's not playing well out of the five right now, who's a 2018 starter for this team and where do the jets need to actually dedicate resources to improving the front this off season? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. This is actually 
a conversation in depth with Damian Woody on Sunday is that, you know, and who better to talk offensive line, especially with the Jets and Woody. The Jets have, you know, done some good and done some bad when you look at this group. I think getting Brandon Shell in the fifth round in the 2016 draft was an absolute steal for them because he really, really does look a starting right tackle, a very, you know, I would even say above average at times starting right tackle in terms of pass protection. I think his run blocking is so-so, but he seems like a lock for the future. Carpenter has been one of McKagan's best signings in terms of value and production. He's been so steady at guard for them. He just opens up the run game better than anyone else in this roster. When you look at center, it's no secret that Wes Johnson is not an NFL caliber starting center. And I think it's limited the run game so much because he doesn't have the athleticism to get outside and get the outside zone running. He can't get downhill. He's not good in pass protection. So that doesn't help the guards at all. This is the biggest hole of this offensive line. And I don't think Nick Mangold was very good down the stretch towards the end of his career, especially last year, his last year. You know, he couldn't stay healthy. I don't think he was in the best of shape, but Wes Johnson is a significant drop-off. This is a team that has to go into free agency and sign a center. Brian Winters has been up and down this year after the contract extension. I still think he's a good run block. I think in a cohesive unit that has above-average players, he's a fine starter. But this year, you, you've seen the up and downs from him. And Calvin Beecham, you know, he's a middle-of-the-pack left tackle. And you obviously would like an elite left tackle to set up the, you know, the future rookie quarterback or free agent quarterback, whatever route they go. So... There are definitely some question marks on this offensive line, but there's also some positive signs. I think they're a younger group, at least. They, you know, obviously at right tackle, obviously with winners in carp, and they're you know veteran guys, but not older guys. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they attack it in the offseason because finding left tackle help is a problem around the NFL in general. But at least they go and sign a set like they have the rest of the interior and right tackle figured out. All right, let, let's look ahead to the offseason. I, I think the Jets will probably end up picking somewhere between, I don't know, 6 and 12, maybe. Yep. If you had to guess now, what is going to be the Jets' course of action this offseason to improve the quarterback position? Obviously, nobody on this roster is the long-term guy. What is the approach they are going to take between free agency and the draft, and what are some names that you are hearing that you think are – going to be targets of this re- this regime. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I, I think, you know, obviously there was so much tank talk over the summer and that this team was a lock to pick number one or at least in the top two. And that's not going to happen now. And when it comes down to that, the quarterback demand in the league is as high as ever. Obviously, the Cleveland Browns, we say this every year, they have to go get one. And I think there will be a new front office there that will go get one. The Buffalo Bills can easily trade up with the 49ers and go get their guy. The New York Giants have to move on from Eli Manning at some point and go get their guy. You only pick at the top of the draft so many times. So when you look at the in that 6 to 12 range, you say, well, you know, do they reach on a guy? Do they roll the dice on a Josh Allen or maybe, you know, take a guy like Lamar Jackson? I would be really surprised if they went that route. I think there's very high risk with both players, and I think if they do miss out on a guy like Rosen or Darnold, I don't think they would just say, hey, we have to take one, because they have other significant needs. The three premium positions in the NFL, really, are left tackle. Is there one worth taking in the top ten in this draft? I don't think so. Is there a pass rusher, something else they really need, worth taking? Yes, Bradley Chubb. If Bradley Chubb falls to the Jets, it seems like an ideal fit. He's the best pass rusher in this class. When was We talk about this all the time, Joe. 
when was the last time this franchise had a legit edge rushing threat? They figured out the rest in their front seven, but they need a guy that can get after the quarterback off the edge. And then they can look in the second tier of quarterbacks, or obviously you have to go into free agency and get a guy as well. But talking strictly draft, I love Baker Mayfield. I know I am in a bit of a minority on that opinion. I know the fans seem to be getting behind Baker Mayfield. I know you've said before you like Baker Mayfield. The Jets have two second-round picks. If there is there any way you can go up back into the top of round two and take Baker Mayfield, assuming he gets out of round one, I would stay away from the Mason Rudolphs and Luke Falks of the world. I don't think they're any upgrade over what they have on the roster between McCown and Bryce Petty. Obviously, we don't even have to talk about Christian Hackenberg right now. So the Jets have a very long offseason ahead of them, and they have to solve the quarterback position. And I think it'll be a combination of free agency and hopefully at some point of the draft. Yeah, it does feel like Mayfield is starting to become uh, a bit of a fan favorite. I think that's understandable with how he played this year. I think with the way he plays, I think that's an exciting player to potentially rally around. I think with where the Jets are going to pick, if Darnold comes out, most people feel like Darnold or Rosen will be out of their reach. So that really leaves Mayfield and Jackson. When you look at outside of Mayfield, do I agree with it? I think is definitely a first round quarterback. And I think somebody who Jet fans would have a right to be excited about if the Jets went and took him. Jackson is obviously a much more divisive prospect. You hear things ranging from he's a fourth round quarterback who might have to play receiver at the next level to him legitimately being a first round quarterback. And then you also have Josh Allen and a lot of Jet fans, including myself, are getting reoccurring Christian Hackenberg nightmares with Allen, with McCagnan falling in love with him, a guy who has doesn't have a lot of production but seems to fit the traditional prototype of a quarterback with his arm strength. So I guess it's a two-part question. Where Where is the appropriate spot for Jackson to go? And do you believe some of the hype that's came out in recent weeks that he would be an ideal fit for the Jets and he is somebody that they would target? And are you concerned that even after what happened with Hackenberg, that based on McCagnon's history, he's more likely to target a guy like Josh Allen, and that could be someone maybe the Jets take in the second round uh, if they end up going pass rusher or corner in the first round. Yeah, it's interesting with Jackson because here's my concerns, and this goes just as much, if not more, for Josh Allen. Neither guy is super accurate. I think Lamar Jackson obviously has some statistically great games. I think his receivers don't always help him out. Same for Allen. But when you look at throws over 15 yards and outside the hashes, he definitely struggles at times. And when you look at Allen in general, he's just not an accurate passer. And when you look at how the Jets have missed, you know, we won't talk about Bryce Petty because that's a different situation. But when you look at missing in the second round on Christian Hackenberg, He has never been an accurate quarterback. So I am a firm believer that accuracy is something that often does not significantly change. If you're a below 60% passer for most of your life, you're not often going to get up into that 62, 63 to 65, 66 range. And that's what concerns me with those two guys. And I think the Jets, they have to understand that they are on thin ice when it comes to taking a quarterback, and you have to take a guy that's an accurate passer. And that's why I lean towards the Baker Mayfields of the world. Obviously, if you were up high enough to get Rosen or Darnold, they're much more accurate passers in my opinion. Don't always look at the box scores. I know people do that often, but on the field and what's happening on the field. And that I do think the Jets will stay away from Jackson and even Allen because – 
I think in, if they're going to roll with John Morton for the future, it, it's all about timing out of that West Coast system. I, I think it really just makes sense to take a guy like Baker Mayfield if you can't get a Darnold or a Rosen. And you just can't miss at this point if you're the Jets. You don't need to hit on a Carson Wentz, you know, before he got hurt, Andrew Luck caliber quarterback. But you need at least a middle-of-the-pack starter, and you can't miss. And how many starters in the league are middle-of-the-pack or better that are consistently inaccurate? There just aren't any. Outside of the draft targets of quarterback, and I do feel like the Jets will probably take someone in the first two rounds at the latest – Kirk Cousins. We know that this regime like Kirk, likes Kirk Cousins. They tried to go after him a couple of years ago after Geno Smith got punched in the face. Cousins is probably going to hit free agency this year, probably going to get roughly Matthew Stafford money if enough teams get involved and you know, knowing Arizona, Denver, Jacksonville all need a quarterback. Do you think before we even get to the draft – the Jets are going to push all their chips in the middle of the table and try to get Cousins. And then if they don't get him, then obviously quarterback becomes that much more of a priority. Or do you think it's not? Do you think that interest is being a little overstated? And that was, you know, two years ago, and they're not going to be willing to put that kind of money up for Cousins. And I guess more importantly, and I think this is a, it's a tough debate to have, is Cousins worth that kind of money? He's going to be 30 years old. Do you invest in him? Uh, that much of your cap space and say, you know what, we think he's good enough with an okay supporting cast to be a playoff caliber quarterback. Is he worth that type of franchise quarterback spend? Well, this one goes a couple of ways. First off, I don't think Kirk Cousins hits free agency. I think, the, I think Washington is insane enough to get into franchise tag him and look to move him, and I don't know who will want to pay that price for him. It's one thing to sign him to a big contract. It's another to give up your first-round pick for him. So – I don't think he hits free agency. I think Washington, and he wants to, trust me, I know that. Uh, I think Washington, once again, will franchise tag him, but it will be for an absurd cap hit. And I don't think the Jets will necessarily pony up picks and sign him. I think that would be insane. Now, if he did hit free agency, I do think he's worth the money, assuming you put the guaranteed dollar amount into the third year and not beyond that. Because like you said, he'll be 30 years old. It varies system to system. He's obviously found a lot of success recently. I like Kirk Cousins a lot. I do think he can easily win you games. If you go out and he hits the open market, you, you sign Kirk Cousins to you know, I think you actually put a deal not too long ago. What was it, five years, 130 million on Twitter? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I would do that because then you have all your picks. You have quarterback figured out. You use those picks to solve premium positions because you already solved one. If you can use your draft picks get a pass rusher, try to get a left tackle. Now you have a very good roster or foundation roster to work with, and you've figured out the biggest problem of them all, a quarterback, without giving up anything but money. The Jets have $80 million in cap space. That is an insane amount of money. That's without cutting Mo Wilkerson. They have the money to do it. So there's a lot of layers with the Kirk Cousins situation, but it's as simple as this. If he does hit free agency, I fully expect the Jets to go right after him, and it would be a great move but I just don't think he will. All right, let's go a little bit rapid fire. Mike McCagnan, Todd Bowles, are they back in 2018? And if Bowles isn't back, who's a head coaching candidate to watch? I would guarantee that McCagnan and company are back, and I fully think they should be back. I think they've only really trended upward recently, especially with you know what they have laid out for the future, what they could do. I'm not a big Todd Bowles believer. I don't really know if there's a lot of those left anymore. I think he's overachieved from a win standpoint this year and or at least, you know, what they've produced this year, but I, I'm not a fan of his 
I think he's the guy to really get them over the hump. You look at a couple of candidates across the league, and somebody posted recently, it's kind of interesting with the Jets, how they hire back and forth a high-energy guy and a very low-key kind of personality. It's gone on for before Herm Edwards with the Jets. You know, and then you go Rex Ryan to Todd Bowles. So if the trend indicates anything, you go and get a high-energy guy that can fire up his team and, and lead the team. I think one young name, and this is a guy that my co-host on Sick to Football, Matt Miller, always mentions, he's just climbed through the coaching ranks, is Mike Rabel. And I know people are going to freak out about defense again, defense again. But when you talk about a head coaching candidate and, and one that I think should be in the running, we'll see if he will be when it comes to calling interviews. I think Rabel would be a different kind of energy for this team that would match really well with very good draft picks that McCagnon's had over the last two years on defense. Yeah, people get so wrapped up in hiring this offensive mind, but being a head coach is different than being an offensive coordinator. It's a different skill set, managing an entire yep. coaching staff and making game okay. day decisions. It, it can't be a, you know, you can't just wipe off everyone who coaches defense and special teams just because you want someone with an offensive background. Um, all right, next one. What do you think? Um, who is a player right now on the Jets' offense or defense who is playing well but not enough people are talking about? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I think Steve McClendon up front. I, I feel like no one has talked about him this year, and I think he's been very good against the run, uh, and he's on a very low cap hit next year. So you can cut ties with Mo Wilkerson, keep McClendon number his very low cap hit, and go maybe sign another – market value defensive lineman and you have a front that's much cheaper than the one now and just as productive so I think on the defensive side of the ball I, you know everyone's talking about how good Jordan Jenkins and Darren Lee have been rightly so but so you want a guy that no one's talking about I think McClendon's been really good on the offensive side of the ball it, it's tough to pick one after last week which was not pretty at all but I always go back to Brandon Shell because I, I think when you don't hear a guy's name called very often, that's a good sign. And that seemed to be the case with Brandon Shell every time he suits up. All right. Convince me why it was smart for the Jets to trade a fifth round pick for Robinson at cornerback rather than going into next year's draft with as many picks as possible. Well, they had two fifth-round picks. You have the extra one from Dallas. And when you look at the cornerback, not only free agent class, which is not very good. Sure, you have Malcolm Butler at the top, who I've always said is overrated and is going to get a lot of money. But you look at the draft class, and it's very underwhelming. I mean, there's no number one lockdown corner. Like last year, you had Marshawn Lattimore outside the health concerns. But him and Sidney Jones were guys that can go out there and lock down number one wide receivers. And this year, there's no guy like that, and there's not a lot of good number two corners. So the Jets went into this saying, well, in the fifth round of this year's draft, we're not going to get a guy with the traits that Robinson has, and you know, we're, we're not going to go into free agency. And, and they still, Maybe they'll bring back Mo Claiborne. Maybe they do sign a corner. But the point is, this is a player that is as young as many prospects. I believe he's 22 years old. He's six foot one, long corner with good speed. Very raw. Looked very good as a rookie, but has not had a good year in Kyle Shanahan's first year at San Francisco when he's been asked to play a number one corner role. I think that was just too much to ask right away. I don't think it was very realistic. So it's shocking the Niners gave up on him so early, but with the Jets, this is a calculated move of saying, well, the draft class isn't that great and there won't be anyone nearly as talented as him in this year's fifth round. And free agency isn't really that special either. So just keep stockpiling 
raw but talented corners. I think it worked really well when they added Daryl Roberts last year. He's obviously had a pretty good season for them, so that's kind of the line of thinking. The same thing here where a guy can sit and develop and hopefully contribute next year. Who is a player, I would say, ideally a younger player who Jet fans are overrating their long-term ceiling or overrating their production or maybe too excited about potentially uh, seeing get a bigger role on this team? Oh, man. Seems to rotate every year when you talk about this. I, I think um, I think at times it can be Robbie Anderson. I know that's a really tough answer to say right now with how well he's played. But ideally, Robbie Anderson is what everybody wanted Devin Smith to be, where he's your number three vertical over the top threat. If the Jets can go into free agency and sign a number one like Allen Robinson, or, I mean, you know, we'll see if Jarvis Landry shakes loose or whatever happens. Quincy and Noon will comes back as your number two. Anderson is the ideal candidate as the number three. Jets fans like to force the narrative that, look, he is a number one, or look, he's getting the targets. When it comes down to it, Anderson's a very nice player, a, a player with a lot of speed, and you can't teach speed. But people should be wary of not, you know, trying to make him something that he's not. That's fair. Although I do think, I think it's, hey, go find three guys who could be your starting receivers. I don't, I don't necessarily care who much care that much who's denominated the number one, two, or number three. It reminds me a little bit of New Orleans when they had, you know, Snead and Thomas and Cooks, you know, last year. You know, just get three guys out there with Safari and Jenkins who could be versatile and move between different positions. The hope is that, obviously, a new could come back and be the same guy. Obviously, he's a physical player now coming off a neck injury. If Robinson doesn't hit free agency and the Jags are aggressive in keeping him back, uh, is there any other free agents – uh, at receiver who the Jets should consider. Is Terrell Pryor worth taking a flyer on, or is he not going to be worth it after what happened in Washington? Could a guy like Paul Richardson make sense? I would definitely stay away from Richardson. I, I know everybody's hot on him right now. He can't stay healthy. It's as simple as that. He's never healthy. He's very, very small. Uh, Terrell Pryor, you know, it's been a disaster this year, partially his own, partially the situation. I mean, if you take a very low market, you know, say he takes a one-year, $2.5 million deal with incentives, whatever, see what you got there. But I'm, you know, and like you said, if Robinson stays in Jacksonville, it does start to dwindle really quickly. Can you go get an Alshon Jeffrey on? He's a guy that can go up and win you the ball in the red zone. Maybe you get him on a two-year deal and bring in another physical presence. But I would look at Jarvis Landry. I think Jarvis Landry is a flat-out great football player. I don't care if people designate him as a slot receiver only. I think if you can, you know, line up Robbie Anderson, Quincy Newman, Jarvis Landry with Safarian Jenkins, you really have something to work out there. And I don't I think it would be a great addition. All right. Final question. As of today, what is the Jets final record and who is their first round draft pick? Oh, man. Uh, I think they finished the season with five or six wins. You know, the one win I'm really I'm really banking on here is over Los Angeles Chargers, who not been very good for, you know, or consistent for a while now. So I think the Jets finished with, well, I'll say five wins. I think they only get one more, to be entirely honest with you. Uh, first overall draft pick, I, we see it every year with the Jets, but I think they're going to play their way out of top quarterback range, and I think they finally go get a pass rusher. It'll be Bradley Chubb because he's the best one in this class, and you can't pass on him. All right. Hey, I agree with you on the 5-11 and 11. 
I can't make a first-round pick. It's too far out, but, we'll, but we will see. Connor, as always, thank you for joining us. Make sure to follow Connor on Twitter, at Connor J. Rogers. Make sure to subscribe to his Stick to the Jets podcast and also the Stick to the Football podcast that he does with Matt Miller at Bleacher Report. Connor, thanks as always, and we'll talk again in the offseason. Yeah, thank you, Joe. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.